but we welcome you back to Worldview Matters. This is Ross and my co-host, Bob. Hey, Ross. Um, how you doing? I'm doing well. Good to be hey, back Ross, with you. You just got back from Europe, I understand. I, I did. I've, I've had about two and a half weeks in Europe. I think there's some things we can integrate into our Worldview Matters relative to my time in Europe. I've had so many opportunities to discuss religious faith and lack of same with people all, well, not all over the world, but in four countries in Europe. And it's been very enlightening to me to see the worldview that exists there. I, I, I knew that it did, but I was I had a chance to talk with some people all across the geopolitical and economic spectrum over the past two and a half weeks, and it has been very, very interesting. Uh, my, my objective was not to that was not my objective to have these discussions. These discussions came about in an ancillary, a tangential way. But as I thought about it this morning, I thought maybe God had a different purpose for me being there other than what I went for. So I think that uh, as, we, as we have this conversation, I might be able to bring some things in about my discussion uh, with various people while I was there. But thanks for mentioning. I had a great time. I would highly recommend people doing what I started out to do, which is to go on a World War II tour with a, with a very capable tour group. And then I did some, uh, launched off in, into something else. I've been writing a book on World War II, as you know, Bob, and I did some research on some really intriguing things, which maybe we can add as we go on. But uh, obviously, the political viewpoints in Europe are totally different from what I see here. I see the, the worldview issues relative to Christianity, religious faith, any sort of religious faith to be different. And I guess to some degree that what's, that's what makes the world go round. But boy, it sure does make a scary world out of it as far as I could see. But let's go back to what we talked about before, Bob. We, were, we had talked about Islam pretty deeply and... I know that you've got some other things you wanted to bring out about that, but, but I wanted to start off by asking you a question. You know, I, I find myself, when I think about the Muslim faith or think about the Muslim, I know that the first thing that I should think about as a Christian is, how do I get this person to come to a saving knowledge of Christ? But you know, the first thought that I have is not that. The first thought that I have is, how is this person going to try to hurt me? Now, that's, that's an interesting thing. But if, we, if we're talking about worldview and how it matters and worldview matters themselves, I think we have to deal with that because I think many people out there who might be listening to us will have the same view. How do you, how do you answer that, Bob? How do you deal with that in light of a, of a clinical look at the Islamic faith? Well, Ross, I think you're bringing up a, an issue that is near and dear to all of our hearts. We're conflicted as believers. We, on one hand, we're urged by the Scripture and the Lord Himself to, to love the whole world as He loved the whole world. At the same time, we're conflicted by the fact that Islam as a religion, as a worldview, it, it is a worldview. It, it answers or it has answers for all the eight questions that we've been talking about that we know constitute a worldview. And Islam is a worldview, a very cogent, a very organized, a very specific. 
it's a worldview with an agenda. And I think it's interesting that we talked earlier about your trip to Europe. Because, you know, Europe is the, uh, is the seedbed for American culture, as we all know. And Western culture, the culture that began in Europe and then moved across the ocean to the United States, Western culture, Ross, is in a great transition right now. Uh, you know, this really didn't happen recently. It started, oh gosh, 300 years ago. As worldviews began to shift, it started. You know, Christian theism held uh, held sway in Western culture from 33 A.D. until the 1700s. Uh, and really, it goes back even before that to the Renaissance. But the Renaissance produced the Enlightenment, which opened the door for deism and then naturalism, and it has brought us to where we are today, which is a postmodern relativism. And Ross, you and I have talked in the past about how that postmodern relativism is really entrenched in Europe and it's becoming more and more entrenched in American life. And what this is doing is it's opening the door for Islam. Uh, Islam uh, comes along and says uh, there are absolutes uh, and the absolutes were defined and categorized and uh, if you want, if you want to say formalized by Muhammad, uh, and so people who don't have and realize they they need some kind of substance, Islam has a real appeal to them, and so we're seeing this. It's the fastest growing religion in the world today. One point seven billion. It's already spreading across Europe and the UK, and it's penetrating U.S. culture. And I think that one of the things we got to ask ourselves as Christians and as Americans, because there is this fear, uh, concern, double-sided coin here that we've got to think about. Why and how did Christian theism lose its influence, lose its place in Western culture, and what can we do about the implications of Islam? Well, one of the things I think that as Christians, we are not able, as a, as a collective group, to debate in this marketplace of ideas in this world, what we believe. You know, we are taught as Christians, uh, the Bible says that I believe it, that settles it. Okay, that's great. But I need to be able to talk with someone. And you and I, we've had this discussion so many times. We're, we're probably having, we're letting our listeners in on discussions that you and I have had over coffee and, and what have you so many times in the past. It's it's unbelievable. But but we need to have an ability, an apologetic, an ability to have a debate with people of all intellectual levels and all spiritual levels over the issues that relate to Christianity. And I had a chance over the past couple of weeks to talk to a lot of people who are in the in the European community who are seeing the demise, who've seen the demise. To them, religion is just not a part of their thinking at all. As a matter of fact, sometimes they would look at me over the past week and say, what planet are you from that you even enter into this discussion? But Your what I did... that question over and over again since I've known her. <laughs> You know, I, I ask um, I asked this one young man who told me immediately that he was an atheist. He we wanted to get that up front as we began the discussion, and uh, 
you know, we, we started talking about truth, absolute or relative, and that, that's a kind of an easy way to go down. But I got an email from him this morning, and he said, I want to have this discussion further because he had told me when I left him, when I asked him, if there, if there is a God, would you really want to know him? And he said, no, he doesn't have any idea that he wanted to know that God. So I emailed him back and he emailed me and we've exchanged a couple. But in, but what has happened, he said, I want to have this discussion further because you have asked me some questions that I haven't dealt with before. And I said, bingo, success. At least we can have an intellectual discussion, not a not an arrogant debate of any kind, but a discussion. And we need to have that discussion in a very intellectual way because we've got to be able to play on that playing field and not simply say uh, the the trite things that we as Christians have said all along. So this ability to debate a marketplace in a marketplace of ideas is critical, I think. Yeah, really, you're exactly right. And yet we have to keep in mind that there are these two great uh, emotional, I'll call them spiritual forces that are counter to one another, that are, are at work in the heart of every man and woman on the planet. On one hand, you've got this, this deep yearning, this deep longing. Uh, the scripture says that God has placed in man eternity in our hearts, uh, it was Pascal who said that in every man's heart, there's a God-shaped vacuum. That is one of the forces that's at work here. And I think as believers, as those who hold to a Christian, uh, a Christian theism, we need to celebrate that and capitalize on that. So there's this force that, in, in essence, all men are longing for, looking for meaning outside of this life, this 70 or so years we've spent on the planet. But the other force, the other factor in this is men's heart wants to pull them away from God. There's a bias in all of us that says, I don't want to know God. I don't certainly don't want to be submitted to him. Hence your, uh, your, your friend's response. No, I don't want to know that God because uh, there's this bias against him also. And the challenge that we have in this marketplace of ideas, both of those things can be true at the same time. And we need to find a way to live in that tension. Of course, you know what I'm going to say next, Ross. I think the one who resolved that tension is Christ. He's the one who brings us back to God, and he's the one who takes care of our rebellion. Well, at the, at the end of the day, that's the, the obvious question. I mean, what do you do with this man, Jesus? Because that's, that is the ultimate question, and what, it's what separates truth from relativity or fiction. And we can, I think we have to be careful as apologists to, to not try simply to argue someone into a position of belief because I don't think that that's possible. I think we can lay the groundwork where the questions exist, but people are going to have to come to the point of making that emotional, logical and emotional decision that I'm willing to step out in faith. I'm willing to step into something that I believe is correct, but but I have to make the step first. And well, it's interesting to me that this young man you were talking to in Europe started out by saying, I want nothing to do with God or religion. But as he encountered you, 
as a relationship was built with you. You know, he's not ready to go be confirmed tomorrow, it doesn't sound like, but his interest level is becoming more and more elevated. Now, you and I have talked about this before, but I think this gets to the heart of why Christian theism has lost its its foundational place in Western culture. It's because Christians haven't, as a group, been very consistent in showing Christ. We preach to people, but we haven't lived Christ in front of people. And Ross, I've been around you long enough to know this, that you don't just talk about Christ. You sanctify Christ as Lord in your heart. You want to live for Him. You want Him to live through you. And that makes Christians and the worldview of Christian theism incredibly attractive to people who don't know God. Well, I appreciate that very much. I do know that as we talk to people about our beliefs, we have to be incredibly aware of how we're acting. And my wife has reminded me many times, you know, you can't you can't be surly or you can't be short with the young lady at McDonald's. Uh, and because you, you don't know, she, she may show up at church next Sunday. How are you going to react if you do that? And, and you've got to treat, you can't allow the, the strong position that I have on how you operate business uh, to spill over into the way that you act in society because not everyone is going to have a high degree of, of business sense and want to do things right from a business standpoint. So I get, I get admonished by a very wonderful lady many times uh, about my intensity level. And so I have to be careful about that, as you you well know. <laughs> well, if there's one person on the earth that lives like Christ in a mature way, it's your wife. She's a, she's a gracious lady. But, Ross, you, you know what we're talking about here really gets right back to the, uh, the tension, the differences in worldview between Islam and Christian theism. And if I may just explore that with you for a moment. Because what, what we're discussing here is a kingdom that Jesus urges that begins in our hearts and then works its way out into our life and actions. It's not something that we pretend or act out. It's something that we live out because it's embedded in the tissue of our soul. That's where it is. It starts there. It starts as a new birth inside our heart, and then it systematically, gradually, but very definitively, if we're serious about following Christ, works its way out into our lifestyle. And that, the, the Scripture calls that a fragrant aroma that people in the world look at and go, whoa, there's something there that's incredibly attractive about that person. And what they're seeing is Christ. But that is a kingdom. Jesus even uses that term, kingdom. But when Muhammad and Muslims talk about kingdom, they use the same word. They, they may call it caliphate or ummah or something else, but it's the same idea. But when they talk about kingdom, it's a different kind of kingdom. Instead of it being inside out, it's an outside kingdom that tries to control people and how they live their lives. And that's decidedly different. Ross, I think that's what we're all a little bit afraid of, and we should be. Well, I think it is uh, something that we all are afraid of. 
I may have mentioned in an earlier session a book that I read a couple of years ago called uh, Menace in Europe by a lady named Claire Berlinski, and she talks about the ingress of Islam in the European culture. And you don't have to be there long to recognize just uh, how formidable that is and how pervasive the invasion of Islam is in that culture, and to some degree how concerned the people of the various countries are about that. And so I had some interesting discussions about that. And so maybe it does get them thinking about this issue of religious faith of some kind because they see something happening culturally that they know to be uh, a difficulty for their particular country to deal with. So this is, this is not a benign thing. We cannot take an agnostic view of these uh, of what's happening on the ground you know it's we can we can sit and talk about theologically uh, we can talk about this theologically all we want and that's where the rubber meets the sky but where the rubber meets the road is how is this theology put in place in actual everyday uh, action between us as well as uh, as in other cultures well that's exactly where it's lived out and and that is the great divide ultimately it's are we placing our values, our hopes, our dreams, the, the this condition of our soul, if I could use that terminology, are we placing those things in a world that we can see that's here and now, or are we placing those hopes in a kingdom and a world that is coming? In some ways, it's already come, but in other ways, it's still coming. And, and that really gets back to the difference in the kingdom that Jesus preached and the kingdom that Muhammad preached. Jesus said to Pilate, he said, my kingdom is not of this world. Here's a, he was about to be executed by a Roman tribunal, and he could have literally gotten off the hook, Ross, if he had just pleaded, uh, if he had chosen not to incriminate himself. But he basically allowed himself to be called a king. And in that role, he opened himself up to be condemned. But he said his kingdom was a different kind of kingdom. In John 18, he says, my kingdom's not of this world. If it were, my servants would fight to prevent my arrest by the Jewish leaders. But now my kingdom is from another place. And then Pilate says, he gets it. Pilate says, so you're a king then. And then Jesus clarifies it. He says, you say that I'm a king. In fact, the reason I was born and came into the world is to testify to the truth. And I know I'm getting onto your one of your hot buttons here because he says into Pilate, everyone on the side of truth listens to me. That's the point of demarcation. And uh, Muhammad said his kingdom is of this world. And so he urged his followers to fight, literally, militarily. You go back and study uh, Islamic history, and you realize that's how it started. And some of that plays over into the world that we're living in today. But that now we've come full circle into why we're feeling such a sense of unrest in our hearts right now. Well, we have come full circle. And uh, as it always is the case, when you and I get together and discuss these issues, time flies. And it has done exactly that for us today. I think we're to the point where we need to stop. Hate to do that, but let's pick this back up again. The discussion of Islam seems to be at the forefront of what's happening in the world today so, because 
you have, I don't say a fight between these two religious beliefs, but there certainly is an upsurge of Islam. And what we see from a political, geopolitical, social uh, position throughout the world, Islam is playing such a big role. And it warrants our discussion uh, pretty deeply. But maybe we'll pick that up again. Bob, thanks so much. Always great to be with you. I hope that our listeners out there are getting something from this discussion. Please let us know. Go to Big Brains Media and put some comments there. We'd be glad to deal with those. Look forward to doing that. Thanks to JP and all those folks at Big Brains Media who make this possible. Thank you for the good work you've done to allow us to do this do this show. So thank you much, Bob. We'll see you next week. You're welcome, Ross. And I hope our listeners realize that worldview really does matter. Absolutely. This has been Worldview Matters, brought to you by Big Brains Media. To leave feedback for Ross or Bob, visit us at www.bigbrainsmedia.com.